world is full of magic things, patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharper. Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, where we cover the science-based evidence behind social and emotional learning for schools and emotional intelligence training in the workplace with tools, ideas, and strategies we can all use for immediate results. I'm Andrea Samadhi, an author and an educator with a passion for learning, specifically on the topics of health, well-being, and productivity, and launched this podcast to share how important an understanding of our brain is for our everyday life and results, whether we're a teacher in the classroom, a student, or in the modern workplace. On today's episode number 235, we're featuring a returning guest, Catherine Alexander Dabrowskia, who joined us last June for our very first live event that we recorded from Hawaii. For today's episode, we welcome Kate back, where she'll share how she's turned an absolutely heartbreaking loss into something life-changing for others with the launch of Young Mash Collective a new peer-to-peer global mentoring and empowering community based on cutting-edge neuroscience after losing her daughter, Masha, to a rare form of cancer this past March. Kate, who I met over 10 years ago in a community for those looking to learn how to apply the basics of neuroscience to our daily life, remained in close contact with me over the years, and she later joined Mark Waldman's Neuro Coaching Certification Program, where we worked together to be sure we were both on track completing the assignments. While it took me over two years to complete the course, Kate came into the program with a force to be reckoned with, motivating me to complete the lessons so we could make use of the knowledge and certification program to help others with a sense of urgency. Kate completed her certification that first year, just before her daughter's health began to decline. I'll let Kate tell her story and how she's using her neuroscience certification to help others with this new foundation she launched, Young Mash Collective, to honor her daughter, Masha, and her gift to help others with problems they were struggling with. Let's welcome my dear friend, Kate, from the UK, and hear how she's turned her heartbreaking personal journey around with the understanding of our brain and this new foundation to help others. Welcome, Kate. It's always so incredible to see you, my friend, especially face to face. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andrea. It's so good to see you. You know how much I love seeing you. I love you back. So this is... uh, This is, you know, to begin with, I'm just going to get straight into it. I don't have the words for this. Um, Your story breaks my heart as it would for any parent listening, Um, but especially for me watching everything that you've gone through firsthand. Um, This is going to be difficult, but you're building something to turn heartbreak into something that we just said is going to help many people all over the world for many years to come. So can you share what happened with your daughter, Masha, and orient our listeners to the why behind what you're building with Young Mash Collective? So my daughter, um, 
I don't know how to say it, so I'll just say it. Uh, she passed away in March, on the 13th of March, and she went through two years and three months of the harshest um, cancer treatments available currently. Um, when she was 19 years old, we have discovered a tumor, and she talks about it very openly. So if everyone wants to hear the full story, it's on the um, Young Mesh Radio. And she talks about the chemo, the surgery, the stoma, everything that she's been through and how it affected um, the nerves in her leg and how she couldn't walk and how she had to learn to walk all over again. So I won't go into that. But um, she was only 19. You know, she was a first year university student. And um, suddenly she was thrown in at the deep ends. And one of the doctors so carelessly just said to her in passing almost, saying that, please sign up the paperwork for chemo. And But just bear in mind, we won't be able to fix it. You will, you are going anyway, regardless. It's a question of time. And remember, I remember at the time biting her head off. And uh, for a long while, actually for the whole just over two years, it felt like we were on, on, on track to recovery. And yes, it was difficult. And yes, it was heartbreaking. And yes, I slept on the floors in the hospitals and it was horrible and inhumane. But it always, always felt like there was an outcome which would mean a life, which, which would mean thriving. And at at no point did she ever give up did she ever complain did she ever feel sorry for herself in that space of time like i keep saying two years and three months um she probably had about five good cries like really low really feeling sorry for herself but the rest of the time she was like okay it is what it is we have a situation what are we going to do about it it was always um it was always about finding solutions rather than feeling a victim and we always you know we touch such a deep meaning to this it wasn't just a disease uh which is just random and out of nowhere um it was very much part of the spiritual journey and all you know we're not religious at all as a family not at all and uh, in fact we're very much science oriented but um spiritually um the spiritual connection was always important and uh uh, while she was learning and relearning patterns and, and looking at herself and understanding what she herself uh, could improve within her, um, she was always there to pick up other people. And she hosted Twitter spaces. I don't know if you know them. I never, I've never heard of them until last fall. Um, but she hosted Twitter spaces, which is essentially like a big podcast. So you, on your Twitter account, you invite people to join and you can have five people you can have 500 people whatever it's a, it's a bunch of people who all talk and uh and mash is really funny she's really really hilarious she's got such a quick wit and uh and so much humor and so much joy and her exuberance and zest for life is second to none i don't know anybody else who's quite like her and so with all the zest for life and all of the love for people and humanity she managed to create a community of people, some of whom she's met and some who she's never met. Because remember, we went right from just discovering cancer into COVID and lockdowns, one after another. And so some of the people off Twitter, she's never been met. Um, and yet, 
she's created a community where people could actually come and feel safe and trust that space to open up and talk about their problems and talk about what was happening in their lives and should uplift them uplift and support and cheer them on you know mash is the best cheerleader she would say and she would you know she's really straight she wouldn't uh sugarcoat she would just tell you how it is but at the same time in the truth there's such a there's so much love and so much care and so much now what what are you going to do about this okay so you screwed up how are you going to fix it okay somebody's did did something that's that's affected you negatively what are you going to do about it you can retaliate and then it's on you or you can be the bigger person and then it's on them what are you going to do it's always about finding solutions and always about uplifting life is hard let's not make it any harder let's uplift and um that's in the tiniest possible nutshell that's the story of the last two years wow wow when i listened to your podcast that you did recently gathering those friends together I got to see a glimpse of Masha and who she was to these friends. And we always say is, we always speak in present tense. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I got to see who she is. You're absolutely right. And what was, what caught my eye to that, which made me want to showcase what you're building here was this one girl that said she was, had a big problem and she was bawling her eyes out and and you picked up on every single quality that Masha is. She was witty. She would come in there and not let you get away with anything. And, and I'll never forget what she said to this girl. I can't, I can't listen to you right now because right now you look like Kim Kardashian or something like that. And she made a joke that snapped her out of whatever funk she was in and got her to really think, well, how am I acting right now? and move forward with her her issue and and i just got to see masha in that moment thinking wow imagine her turning around that friend like that now i get it yeah yeah and uh it's Masha never wallows and she knew there's one thing she doesn't have is victim mentality she always feels like you know we spend far too much time talking and thinking about things we don't want rather than looking for solutions and ways out and so she was always about finding ways out for herself for others it was always about that right and as a parent that's what we want for our children we want to know they're out in the world doing something lifting other people up when you first had that vigil and you got to see who masha's friends were what did you learn from this power that she has? You, you must have seen it as a mom, but did it change when you met her friends? Do you know, um, so Mush, um, she's always been a tiny little leader. Ever since she was a tiny baby, she didn't trust herself quite. And when she was growing up as a teenager, um, she really didn't have it easy. You know, she went through different friend groups and people betraying her and upsetting her. So she had to go through all of those learning processes just like anybody else. Um, and then slowly but surely, she, she started coming into herself and understanding who she is. And then she took on the role of a leader uh, and just sort of grew into it. And uh, uh, in the UK, we have this thing uh, which is called the head girl and the head boy. Uh, which is the final year of high school and is the 
it's the most privileged position and a position of responsibility, obviously. You're very much school ambassadors uh, internally and externally. And she moved to a new school and she became a head girl. And uh, it was unprecedented. It's never happened before. She was a new person who's not spent 10 years in that school before, like everybody else. But she came in and she, be, she was appointed. And there's a reason for that. And people could just always see those qualities in her. And when she passed, um, someone from Twitter, who she's, like I said, she's never even met those people, um, reached, uh, reached out to me. And I had no idea how they found out. I have no idea how they found me. You know, my account is private, so no one has access to that. But anyway, so they reached out. And they said, we are uh, putting together a vigil for Masha. Please come in Hyde Park. And it happened to be Mother's Day. I, as you can imagine, I really, really did not want to go. And I couldn't bear facing anyone. And we got there. And it was the most mismatched group of people anyone could ever imagine. You could never put those, place those people in the same scenario, in the same group ever under any circumstances. Yet Masha somehow managed to do that she could just see the internal the human and not the outer shell and she's so good at it just spotting the human spotting the pain and healing that pain and just bringing people together and all those guys they all stood in a circle with a little candle and they all spoke spoke about her saying do you know i was going through surgery i was going through my parents divorce i was going through this this and this and this and I've always felt like I could call her, whether it's three o'clock in the morning or whatever it is, I could always speak to her as is, without filter, without having to cover up, without having to pretend to be anything else. And who do I call now? And I remember there was this feel of overall, and now what? And I stood there, and you know me, my biggest priority in life has always been uh, the generations that follow. And I felt this biggest parental responsibility thinking, oh, we can't just let, let them all leave and not give them anything. And, and I thought, well, I'm not creating anything out of thin air. I'm just building on what she's already started. She's, she's laid down the foundation, which is incredible. All I need to do now is just make it bigger, make it global, make it worldwide, make it uh, bring more people into it. We just need to multiply the mesh effect and uh and this is how the young mesh collective was born I just got chills i got chills because is all i hear about from my side of things as i'm researching each guest as i'm preparing for a next interview is how anxiety and depression has reached an all-time high globally especially after the pandemic and then here you've come along with something that's a solution so what else besides the statistics that we hear about in the world today gave you a sense of urgency to help th this young group of people i think you've actually you've you've nailed it um you said it's a sense of urgency and that sense of urgency and i mean urgency quite literally i wake up with it and i go to bed with it thinking that i especially after what's happened with mash i can see how unpredictable life is and just because we're assumed that we're young and healthy and completely fine that we have years and decades ahead of us, but actually none of us know. 
And so I know I have a major task ahead of me, but I have no idea how much time I have left. And so although it's incredibly tempting to sit around and draw the curtains and not do anything and just sit with my grief, I feel like I can't allow and I can't afford to do that because I have a I have a mission, I have a purpose, I have a responsibility, I have a task, and I don't know how much time for that I have. And so, as such, and also I understand, my biggest fear, and the one thing that I could never even imagine has already happened to me, but there's someone out there who's young and who doesn't perhaps have someone to talk to, needs that shoulder and needs that support. And just because I choose to sit here and feel sorry for myself, that person is going to be alone. And I can't take it on me. I feel like it's my job to bring people together, quick, train them up, give them the best tools, create a community, and bring that community out to the world, and then bring people into the fold and help them out. And then it's kind of like a ripple effect. The more people we help, they help more. It's paying it forward, just paying it forward. And then eventually, we just... Uh, you know, one one healed person can do so much more. Kate, it was crazy. I haven't put this in, in the questions anywhere, but when on Sunday, when I sent the questions off to you, I wanted, you know, us to both think about what we're going to talk about, because it's so important to me that we cover this. And, and I got this strange photograph from John Asraf on text. And this is how we met. We met in John Asraf's program years ago that led us both to Mark Waldman and both into studying neuroscience. And I'm looking at my phone going, why is John Asraf texting me? And here was a photo of him with my next door neighbors from Toronto, which is where my journey began. I'm, I'm looking at it thinking, oh, that's nice. He's like in my, like next door to my childhood home. That's really cool. Then I'm thinking like, why is he in Toronto with Anita and Rolf Whelan who live next door to me? What's he doing? And he sends me a message and says, I don't know if you're, if you're aware that the fellow that you used to work with that, you know, introduced me to Bob Proctor and, and it, spurned my whole life into moving to the U.S. It has been given a certain amount of time and he's not doing well. And just as you said, we don't know when it's our time. I had no idea. I knew he wasn't well. Um, Bob Proctor let me know he wasn't well two years ago. But just like you said, look what happened to Masha and how it, she had two years, three months. Look what happened to this person it just hit me like a thing in my throat that I was like, what? How is this happening? It's like this thing that we don't know. And then what do we do? And you've come up with a solution here. I don't know if I've come up with a solution, but I've certainly come up with a purpose. At least I feel like I'm getting up out of out of bed for a reason you know and the reason is bigger than me because at this point my own um my own personal gain just isn't enough to drive you know and so it's going to be something that outside of me that exists that's bigger than me and for me that's always been the young 
and uh, and as a normal human adult, especially a parent, but not even a parent, an adult, what you do is you get up and you help people who are younger, whether that's with career, whether that's with homework, whatever it is, friends, skills, you get up and you protect. And that's what you do. And uh, and this is this is at this point the only thing that that really drives me. Well, now we're going to cross into the side that I know science is still exploring. And I really wanted to find something that I could add to this that would bring some science to it because I'm, you know, researching and reading what are scientists saying. And we can't ignore the things that we think and feel when someone we love goes on from the physical plane to what we know is the non-physical or spiritual side. Can you share some of the mind-boggling things that you and Masha's friends were talking about? Because this is fascinating to me, where um, you were talking on Young Mash Radio, the signs from Masha, that proves without a doubt that she's still around you. Do you know, that's such an interesting uh, point of conversation. I can talk about it for hours, really. Um, my husband and I, and actually Masha as well, we have been uh, we've been studying Kabbalah for about five years or so, uh, which is the, basically the wisdom of the universe, trying to explain the unexplainable. And, uh, um, and so the conversation about past lives, the conversation about um, what's in Kabbalah in Hebrew called Tikkun, which is essentially karma, um, it's it's normal conversation here in this house. However. Up to now, it's all been theoretical. It's um, it's very, yeah, it's just it's theory, nothing else. And um, when Masha left, I fully expected to actually see her. At, you know, the risk of sounding insane. You know how some people you read some accounts and people say, "Oh yeah, I totally see my grandmother sitting in the same favorite um, armchair," or I hear so and so. Well, I have nothing. I had absolutely nothing. And I thought, well, how could it possibly be? Masha and I are so close. We've always been together. You know, every second of the day, we're like this. The three of us, my husband, Masha and I, like this all the time. And then suddenly, nothing, just emptiness. And then, you know, as time went on, just bit by bit by bit, suddenly I started noticing and my mom started calling me and Masha's friends started calling me. And then all of us were getting things which are so inexplicably much and uh for example just the other day my friend calls me up and says kate do you know anything about the song and she sends me a screen grab of a spotify song by sia which is called i think it's called between two worlds or something like that and i've never heard the song and she says i was listening to a podcast in my car and then suddenly everything stops and this thing comes on and she says i've never played this song i don't know where it's come from i have no idea what it is and she says, I just had a sense that somehow it's connected to you. And Andrea, you will not believe it. I open up Google to search for lyrics. And the lyrics, you can probably share it with your audience afterwards. But it's it's literally saying that we will meet between the two worlds. And we're always, to, and we're always together. And for example, when we were in um, in Italy, one of Masha's friends was there with us, and and it's a beautiful, immaculate garden. It's uh, he suddenly just goes dives under a uh, a tree, and then he comes back and he goes, uh, Kate, and completely his face completely changed. And he says, "Look at this!" And he brings me this bowl, 
and again Lake Como, Italy, right? And then suddenly this purple pink ball and it says Masha on it. And I mean, what are the chances, right? Right. And uh, so it's just things. Oh, my mom the other day she says, "Oh, do you know what? I was out in the garden. I couldn't find my glasses. It was ten o'clock in the evening." I really wanted to watch some TV. She searched for those glasses for two hours inside the house, outside the house, in the garden. She got to a point when she was so exasperated that she went outside of the gate thinking maybe she somehow managed to lose it out there somewhere. Anyway, so she searched everywhere, nothing. So eventually she goes like, Mash, can you just please help me find the glasses? And then she shines her torch. Next thing she knows, right there, right in front of her. My mother doesn't even bother looking for things anymore. She just goes like, yeah, I've lost this crunchy. Where is it? It's right there. <laughs> wow. That's, it's, it's undeniable. Um, I remember when my mentor, Bob, passed over to the other side and I played this recording that he had done um, that was talking about this, that, you know, the, there's the physical plane, the intellectual and the spiritual. He talked about it in every seminar, how we're all connected like the colors of the rainbow. So these signs are, we just have to look for them. They are there. It's just, you know, it, it's just science can't prove it yet. It's like, we're I don't all know if science ever will, do you know? I almost feel like this is kind of like explaining What's an example? Say, for example, an engineer knows exactly how the television works because he's just created it. The television, however, will never be able to understand how the engineer works. And I feel like we are the televisions. We cannot understand the complexity of the universe. We just can't. The complexity of creation is beyond this plane. Yeah, I remember he he would always say, um, you know, we're spiritual beings living in a physical body. And then he would talk about these lines of demarcation. So whether we're in the physical world or the non-physical world, and he would talk about our goals with this. He's like, you want something, pull it out of the universe and bring it into the physical world. We're all connected. And, you know, energy could neither be created nor destroyed and spirit is everywhere. And so when he recorded that, there was this recording that I sent over to you. It was a month uh, before Masha moved over. I remember. Yeah. And it was beautiful. He was talking about how he stopped being afraid of death because he said, we don't go. I'm just going somewhere else on a different plane where your goals are. He was said it in such a beautiful way that it made me understand and see things. When I sent that to you, what did you think of that when you heard him say that? Well, do you know, it, again, because this goes exactly in line with everything we've been studying and learning. And so it completely made perfect sense to me. It just, again, it was really theoretical. Up to now, it's always been just, yes, it makes sense completely. I feel it within me. I feel the truth of that. Um, but I don't actually know what it's like. And now I feel, I feel that it's, it's a world which exists parallel to us, with us, on top of us. I don't know. Um, and there's a veil. And then some people, we, we call them mediums, have perfect ability to, uh, to communicate. And actually, I was reading a book that was, there's an incredible psychic uh, psychic medium in Long Island in the States 
uh, Laura Lynn Jackson. And she's written a book and she talks about the other side and um, all of those things. And she's actually a very fight milieu, as in she, um, the university, I have a feeling it was the University of Arizona who actually ran the tests to verify that she actually would, would, what she does is the truth and it's not some kind of fake, fake thing. Right. And um, um, so she's a verified medium and no one can explain how people do that. And some people can, some people can do more, some people can do less, others can do none at all. But the point is, because that's already been verified, I'm actually very surprised there's so little talk about it. Because thinking and understanding that your loved ones are fine and are still with us and working with us, it's so much nicer than thinking the traditional way, traditional Western way, I should say, that there's it, that's it, and there's nothing else. Yeah, even when I interviewed Greg Link, one of my mentors who took the seven habits to highly effective people all over the world, and he was talking about the fact that in the business world, they would often call on mentors who were on the other side in business meetings. And it wasn't weird to do this. It was common practice that, you know, we need help. Let's ask so-and-so for some advice. And that's really reassuring when someone that you love isn't here so you can't call them you can't see them but they're still here to ask questions for right yes and you actually get answers the funniest yeah. thing is you actually do get answers one way another way but you do get answers and i cannot recommend laura's books enough and i think anyone who's going through pain and grief and loss um i think it's just paramount and uh and again there have been so many Ivy League studies now into near-death experiences and understanding death. And there's a British uh, Cambridge scientist, actually his name is Peter Fennick, and he's been studying death and near-death experiences uh, for the last 45 years. And it's um, one of his books, which is called The Art of Dying, talks about what they've discovered. And the experiences are universal. People talk about the same thing. And uh, and they're completely lucid, so there's no such, you know, the, when the skeptics say, well, it's maybe too much uh, drugs happening or anesthesia or this or that. No, perfectly lucid people and explaining things like, for example, this woman was um, on the operating table and then she was out of her body and then she could see on the other side of the hospital there was a trainer or, or, or a shoe sitting on the window ledge. And when she came back, she says, like, what's happening with the shoe in such, such room? And somebody went to check it out, and there was indeed a shoe in that room on the window ledge. And so that so, all people who have been blind their whole life suddenly see and can discuss color and things that they've seen whilst they were on the other side uh, in the near-death experience. I think it's uh, there's so much out there that we haven't even begun to understand yet. That's what I was talking about with Dr. Jalal Baland. He used the Harvard... Um, researcher that I interviewed on dreams. And we were talking about that with, because he talked about it in one of his interviews where he tried to do a test to see if he could bring back a piece of paper when he went over and he was like in, in the dream world. And he was like, could I bring this piece of pa paper back into my pajama pocket? And I thought, wouldn't that be amazing if we could like with the, bring the shoes, the person can see the shoe. Could you bring the shoe back? And he said, no, there was no paper, but that just goes beyond science and, and what, 
you know, he he's like, we can see it, but we it's not the physical. We can't bring it physically back because it's yeah. not in the same world. So it's just really fascinating to talk about these things. And and I'm hoping in the next decade we'll have more answers to these things that science has yet to discover. Uh, but many people can access answers to problems like we we're just talking about by quieting their mind through meditation and mindfulness that we've been learning with Mark Waldman. And I recently read uh, this article that there was this cognitive and clinical neuroscientist, Athena Demerzi, and she said during resting states, the mind still wanders. It goes here, there, everywhere, it goes into our future, into our past. And it just reminded me of this interconnected world that we live in. What do you think, Kate, the things that we've both felt? And, you know, you, you want to say, well, did I? Re is that real? Could they be our brain picking up on things from the spiritual realm? What do you what what do you really think about this? Is it real? I hundred percent real. hundred percent real. You know, um, again, to give you an example, um there have been far too many coincidences to call them coincidences. It would just be entirely insane to deny it. And it almost feels very backward. It's kind of like if you're living in 1923 to say that, oh, do you know, one day I'll be able to send a picture to my friend in Arizona whilst living in London. And people will say, ha, huh, honey, you need to go check yourself out. It's the same kind of thing that just because we can't understand it and just because we can't explain and prove it, it doesn't mean that it's not there. And just like, you know, at one point radio was discovered, television, uh electricity etc etc all those incredible things that we take for granted now um someone at some point had to be open enough to the possibility and the idea of it and i think it's our turn now not to be hiding behind science which let's face it it's still well not in its infancy per se but also doesn't understand so many things like for example cancer the number of times uh, would go to the hospital and say, well, but why is this and what do we do with this? But, and there's just no answer. There's just nothing. And how, how can we possibly say then, oh, science, we, we, we rely on science when there's just not enough information yet. Mm -hmm. So I choose to trust my own senses and what I see and what I feel, what I experience. And again, if it just been me, I could think, okay, well, fine, I'm in grief and I'm not thinking straight. It's true. I'm not sleeping. I'm not, not eating particularly well. Um, so all those things can be explained by that. However, there's a whole bunch of people who's not even necessarily that well connected uh, to us and to our family and emotionally not connected to the grief. It's more of an intellectual understanding that it's a horrible thing that's happened to family, but rather than an emotional pain. And uh, and yet we're all picking up on signals and signs. And so, yeah. But, you, you know, like even just in the physical plane for you and I, I can feel you, even though you're in England, I can get a exactly. sense of how you're thinking and feeling. I don't know why. I just can look at my phone and say, I need to send Kate a message. I don't know where that comes from. That's just energy. Exactly. How many times have you and I texted each other thinking like, UK, how's it going? Yeah. 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 All the time. Or you and walk into a room and it looks like it's empty, but yes, you still feel a presence. 
and then eventually you know there's someone hiding behind the curtain somewhere yeah yeah you can't deny the things that we we feel they're there and so we've talked a lot about the why behind your foundation with some of these fascinating stories that Masha's friends share on that podcast I listened to and you've shared here. How can people learn more about what you're building? When are you going to be launching this? Can people come in now? What What's the, the next step for this? So, yes, people would, I would absolutely love for people to join. That's the whole idea. It's creating a community, bringing people together. Um, I myself grew up all over the world, all over Africa, then eventually in the States. Um, I've lived with a host family in Des Moines, Iowa, when I was from 16 to 17, my final year of high school. To me, the world is united. I don't really understand the concept of borders and countries and different passports and visas and all that nonsense. I feel it's very much man-made and also it just segregates people far too much. Um, and what I'd like to do is create a global community and starting with people when they're young and eventually that community will help you with work because again, we're all working together. The economy is one and it affects all of us. And so I want to, you know, just like we were standing at that vigil and looking at all those different demographics, social, economic, racial, gender, religion even very 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 different people but they all came together because they all had a pool an emotional pool to be there and if we can bring people together when they're younger if we can show that we're all just human we all want to be loved cared for respected supported uplifted and we can train ourselves and again we're going back to the salience network as we all know that's the center responsible for our emotional connection if we can start developing it younger rather than waiting until we're 30 or in our 30s when it actually fully develops on its own um actually i dare say in some in, in cases it actually takes longer than that but um i think it, everyone benefits and uh, we are very much reliant on people coming in wanting to be mentors and people wanting to be mentees and we have a fantastic a team of certified uh, neuro coaches, all certified by Mark Waldman, and uh, and one day I hope you will have time to join us as well, and uh, and so there's always support, there's always professional support. We have this triangle of young people helping young people, but with the backing of highly trained professionals uh, in the field of neuroscience and neuro coaching, and uh, and it's global and it's multilingual. And it's very fun. The whole Masha's injection of fun and lightness into anything, because then it becomes an obligation, it becomes boring, and then you lose interest and you don't want to do it again. The idea here is that we're all having fun with celebrating each other and our talents. And uh, and whenever people feel like, well, I don't know if I have any talents, we'll help you find where they are and we'll help you celebrate them. Well, that was your background, right? Now I'm just making the connections that you spent many years helping people find their careers, right? That was yeah, good. Yeah, you know what? This is actually, um, it's true. Um, so my uh, previous business, which I've now passed on to my husband to continue with, um, but I've been doing a lot of executive search and executive recruitment and business coaching. And people have this tendency to go from one job to a very similar job. And then they go, oh, I'm actually you know, I'm really not enjoying this. 
And then the question is, why do you keep doing it? You know, there's more, oh, but you know, I need to pay the, pay the mortgage and the school fees and this and this and this and this. Uh, and then they're miserable and they're taking it out on their family. And, you know, one miserable employee, um, again, it's also a ripple effect of negativity. And it has such a major profound effect on families and kids and relatives, et cetera, et cetera, that it's just never worth it. And I always feel like if we can uncover what it is that really drives you, whatever makes you get out of bed in the morning, that you really love doing that, if, you know, if you could just do it and not get paid for it, it would make you really happy. And that lets me find a way, find a connection that would actually get you paid for that. That would just be perfect. And, so, um, you know, one of the first encounters in London when we just moved here was this guy who came in as a plumber. I was looking for a plumber. I didn't have anyone. So he came in looking absolutely fabulous in the most beautiful white shirt, smelling of the most expensive perfume. I thought, really? Are you a plumber? And he goes, yeah, do you know what? I used to have a law firm in South Africa. And I was a partner in that law firm and I hated it so much. I couldn't do it. And I burnt out. So I retrained as a plumber, moved to London and I'm really happy. Yeah. How, how interesting that is because all of us go through that. You get into one field and then you might do what you're meant to do and then what's next and we often don't have a direction you just have to discover that on your own a lot of my friends in the pandemic made switches but you know this is i think quite often we all wait until life forces us uh to make a different decision and it was kind of similar with nash as well because she joined king's university as a politics and religion student and she very quickly in the first year realized that specific course wasn't right for her. She really wanted much more politics than religion and it was pretty much the other way around. And so she knew that she wasn't going back to that, that course anyway. She was going to go back to university, but uh, studying something else. And so she's always done art. She's always been phenomenally gifted as an artist. And so she started between chemo and on chemo occasionally uh, painting. And she was selling her art so successfully and it just went all over the world. And um, and I'm just thinking, we don't really have to wait until life throws something horrible, like a disease, uh, an illness or a pandemic for us to stop in our tracks and think, is this really what I want? Is this really where I thrive? And this is my, this opens up my potential because chances are it really isn't. Exactly. This is incredible what you're building here in honor of Masha and her talent. So for people to join you, is the best place um, to go to Instagram or what? what's the next step? Oh, yeah, it's uh, youngmash.com, uh, the website. Uh, we also have Instagram, which is Young Mash Collective uh, on Instagram. We've got Young Mash Radio on Spotify. We uh, we also are on Twitter, also Young Mesh Collective, and uh, we are very heavily reliant on donations because obviously we're a non profit, and uh, so we are very very open to people joining us, uh, bringing new ideas, bringing skills, bringing a way of making it bigger and better, and and becoming mentors, becoming mentees, becoming uh, helping me. You know, there's so many things to do. It's just the potential is endless and there's so many ideas and um yeah i just just want to make sure it's a really beautiful fun fun-filled ride well of course it's going to be fun if it's with you 
Kate, have we missed anything that's important that, uh, you know, to honor what you've built, where you're going? Is there anything that we haven't touched on that's important to mention before we kind of bring this into a close? You know, the one thing, so we've been doing this now for uh, less than two months. And the training has started about two months ago. And what's really interesting, and uh, you know how people talk about uh, millennials and Gen Zs and how difficult it is to hire um, nowadays. And it's such a prevalent talk in society. And this it's almost become a joke and a meme of people making fun. And what I've seen and what I've uh, observed so far is that we really haven't trained our kids uh, the work ethic that our parents, our grandparents had. And uh, what I could see is that there are people who are very willing to take on feedback, improve, be better, and really roll their sleeves up and work with a few and far between. And, uh, and then what I've seen is people who, when they go and get stuff, they disappear. And that's not because they're bad people. That's not because they're bad kids or because they're unable. It's just they haven't been trained in perseverance. And and I think that's such a huge responsibility for all of us, for any parent, any educator, for all of us to just not give up on our kids and train them because it's always an unpleasant conversation saying you haven't done enough. I'm sorry, you have to go back and redo it and do it again and again and again until it's done properly. And, uh, you know, we are failing them. It's not them failing us, but we, as people who are training them and helping them, we are the ones failing them. And I think we really, really, really have to face the unpleasant conversations, face the proper parenting, and just stand by your kid and train them up in work ethic and their work and their reputation and all of those things. Doesn't that, when you were talking, remind me of passing Mark Waldman's certification where he said, no, this isn't good enough, redo it. And I thought, okay, I can redo it. This is it. This is the end. I'll get my certification. And you sent your certification over. I thought, Kate's done it. And, you know, it's my turn next. And I send him something. He says, nope, this isn't it. You've still not got it. And I thought, I'm going to come over there and I'm going to scratch your eyes out, Mark Waldman. There's going to be no certification program anymore because he, I failed that, that final assignment four times until he, he said, that's it. You've got it. But I don't know what it was that I was missing. I really don't. But he, was of the old school mentality where you don't just pass something because you were one of my first students. I'm going to give make you work so hard for this. And sure, he did. And that was what I think he installed in us, that work ethic that you're talking about. But, you know, when I was growing up, uh, so I grew up and I really, I credit my father. He um, He's really tough. And at the time, I couldn't stand it. I really, I thought, Gosh, do you know what? Everybody else's parent is just normal. Yeah. And somehow I live in, in in a prison. I just, I cannot do anything right. I have to do everything a thousand times over and nothing is ever good enough. Right. Do you know, I, when I stupidly remember thinking, oh, do you know what? I'm at university now. I'm just fine. And I'll just go like that. Do you know what? I've just finished my essay. I think it's pretty good. Have a read. And my dad is a long-standing journalist and a long-standing editor, copywriter. And he would go like, Oh wait, you think this is finished? 
come back here again. Let's do this again. And then next thing you know, it's four o'clock in the morning. I would have redone four times by then. And I go like, I can't listen. I can't do it anymore. He says, you can't or won't. Let's go. Let's do it again. And it's again, 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 until the point when now I know if someone says we're meeting at 2 p.m., it means 10 to 2, you're there. It me and I know it's very tempting to look around you and think, yeah, well, nobody else is there. But this is how what happens when, you know, you get older through your, your career. The people who are exceptional, whatever the crisis, whatever the economic situation worldwide, will always be hired. Everybody else will always be lagging behind, no matter how much we're thriving as, a, as an economy. And, you know, it's um, financially a lot of people are struggling nowadays. Um, and yet very few people are still refusing to take on feedback. Do you know how many managers and, and leaders I speak to uh, in any industry who say, oh my goodness, it's impossible. People just refuse to take on feedback. And uh, they complain and they winch and they explain all the time. And TikTok is full of jokes about that. Except it's really not funny when it comes to your actual living expenses that you can't afford to live because you've not been trained in work ethic. Until you mentioned your dad, I didn't know that. My dad was the same way. And he would, uh, I'd make my bed and he'd tear it up. And I'm always telling my kids, if my dad ever walked into your room and saw your bed made like this, it would be torn up. And I'm thinking maybe I'm going too easy on my kids because I don't want to be as hard as he was. But what he taught was work ethic and do things right. And it might take me a couple of times, but do things the right way. And and I didn't like it at all, like you mentioned. No, at the time, of course you don't like it. But at the end of the day, what my dad's always explained to me and said, it's your name. Whatever it is you give, whether that's an article that you've written, a whatever whatever piece of work that you're handing in has got your name attached to that. This is all you have in the world, your name and your reputation. And it's got to be, if you ask yourself, is this the best I can do? And if the answer is 100% honest, yes, hand it in. If there's a tiny bit of a doubt and a one half a percent, uh, one half, so half a percent that you could do a little bit better, go do it. Right, do it again. Do it again. And I think this is another thing that, which I didn't frankly anticipate because again, poor Masha, you know, she, <laughs> she grew up with me. So obviously, you know, work ethic was right here, all drummed in. And so she's my baseline, right? I, I base everything on her. If she says she will do something, you can just even, you know, you don't even think twice about it. You will know that she, she will do it. Uh, she was 18 years old. She was setting up major events for my business without a single tiny little thing going wrong because she had her eyes and her fingers and her everything everywhere. And uh, so that was my baseline. That was my assumption that this is just how things are and except they're not. Right. And, uh, and I think we need to, to make sure that our kids, as you can see, again, if you look at the stats, the, um, we're much softer on the kids and yet they're less happy, less happy than ever before. They're, they're lonely. There isn't a sense of community or group. Um, and it's become so individual yeah, rather than team based. And there's just less joy than it used to be. And we think we're doing right by them. Whereas I think we're doing just the opposite. That's what I'm seeing now, is hearing your story, what you're building, knowing that, that you know, 
I had a dad that was pretty strict with me and wondering, uh, could I be stricter with my own kids to ensure oh, that- What have I done? And <laughs> 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 is not going anywhere near Arizona. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's, I've got an interview tomorrow where we're talking about the happy chemicals and I, I and and the one of the questions that I'm going to be talking about leads into this that what makes one person happy isn't uh you know the, it's the structure the sense of accomplishment and you don't get that from being easier on your kids you know looking back that's that's Well not- I mean look at your kids they're in, they're in gymnastics how far would they get if they just sit around and watch TV and eat popcorn right, right. It's just that simple. Right. And you know, the look of satisfaction when you look at people after a job well done, it's priceless. And the, the, the sense of accomplishment is beyond anything. It's the best happy chemical ever. True. Well, Kate, I want to thank you so much for sharing such a personal story on our podcast. I truly love you and I value our friendship so much. I there I I'm just speechless of really how to close this because no words I'm gonna say is going to bring it in the way that that my heart wants it to. For people who are or connect to this and want to learn more about what you're building with Young Mash Collective, I'll put all the links in the show notes. And I just want to thank you for everything that you've done so quickly to bring Masha's message and legacy into the world to do what all the good that it's going to do. Thank you so much, Kate. Andrea, thank you. I thank you so much for having me over and uh, for a really interesting discussion. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Some final thoughts. After Kate and I closed out this interview and said our goodbyes, we both knew that something very special had just occurred and the synchronicities we experienced continued on for a few hours that morning. We both couldn't deny that there's so much more to our connection that began when we were both beginning our journey with neuroscience with John Asraf, and then to have him text me unexpectedly last Sunday after I sent the questions for the interview was weird, but it caught both of our attention, reminding us that we're all connected whether we're in the physical or spiritual world. This got us looking a bit deeper at our connection and friendship. It began over 10 years ago through John Asraf, and then we both ended up getting certified through Mark Waldman. And that might not sound like a big deal, but knowing most people don't even finish the course, it's shocking to us that we not only completed it together, but went on to continue to use the knowledge we learned with our work. This brings me back to the quote that I picked to open up this interview. The world is full of magic things, patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharper. Can you see the magic in your day? Do you feel the connection Kate and I feel with each other with someone in your life? If you do, that's all you need to do. Just notice it and know that it's there. This way, you know that you're never truly alone. You're always surrounded by love, and this in itself is truly magical. Keep looking for the magic in your day, and spread the word about Young Mash Collective by staying in touch with Kate's mission. This is only the beginning. 
I'll see you with our next episode. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.